Very excited about to end, uh, very excited to end our summer with some music beginning next week. We'll start a five-week series as we examine different types of psalms. Now, excuse me, next, next week in particular is going to be family worship, so make sure you bring your kids and get ready to sing. We might have some interactive elements. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, but before we get there, I'd like, us to take us, I'd like to take us someplace else, and that someplace else is outer space. In uh, 1983, George Lucas concluded his original Star Wars trilogy with a movie entitled Return of the Jedi. Now, towards the end of the movie, there's a really famous scene, you might remember, where the rebel fleet flies in to attack the evil empire and their new weapon, the Death Star. The plan was to have the secret mission led by Luke Skywalker take out the shields of this new battle station so the fleet could attack. But as soon as the fleet attacks, they realize the plan has failed, the impenetrable shields are still up, they're surrounded and outnumbered by enemy ships, and it's then, very famously... That the camera cuts to Admiral Akbar, the leader of the rebel fleet, who shouts, It's a trap! It's a trap! Now, not all of us are Star Wars fans, but that line right there has spiritual significance. Has it ever felt like Satan has set a trap for you? You don't see it coming, but then you're caught. Right now, if you're somebody who's ever set a trap for an animal, you know there's two components. First, the trap to be effective needs to be hidden. And the trap also needs to be baited. That's how Satan works, too. He disguises his trap, and then he lays bait to make it enticing. In fact, it's so enticing that you overlook the danger that is apparent. Has Satan ever set a trap for you, and have you taken the bait? Spiritual warfare requires that we recognize the traps in our lives. Don't take the bait. It's a trap. Do you recognize those traps? Where is Satan trying to lure you in? Because right now, some of us, even here today, even listening later on, you, you, you are trapped. You've taken the bait, and you're wondering, how do I get out of this trap? How do I get out? Well, we're in week six of uh, the final week of our spiritual warfare series, and we've come to the final weapon, and that is the sword of the spirit. The sword is the part of the armor which has both defensive and offensive capabilities. The sword can thrust in attack, and it can thwart in defense. How does Satan trap us? Let's, let's come back to that image of the animal for just a, sec a second. Uh, first, Satan keeps his trap hidden. I want to I drill in on that for a second because, if, again, if you catch an animal in the wild, often what you need to do is you need to camouflage the trap. Maybe you throw some leaves over it or some grass or branches. The, the point is it blends in. You don't notice until the trap snaps its jaws on your leg and you're caught. And what Satan's goal is, is to distract you so you don't see that trap. In fact, a modern example may be the subtle messages that are embedded in things like movies and music and advertisements. They may seem innocuous, but the people who direct these projects know exactly what they're doing. They are hiding messages so they seem normal. Now second, Satan doesn't just hide that trap, he also baits that trap. He is a master at wrapping sin with sugar. The bait is... So effective because it makes you feel good. Now, practically speaking, Satan hides his traps by making them appeal to our flesh. And I'll give you an example, the example of addictions. Nobody wakes up one day and just says, you know what, I'm going to be an addict today. Nobody does that. We're baited into it because Satan knows how to appeal to each one of our flesh. Extreme examples are drugs and alcohol. Satan promises escape through those things. But there's a lot of other addictions that we tolerate, things like, 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 uh, like food addictions. It makes you feel good, right? Shopping addictions. 
Uh, you can go out and buy whatever you want so to escape from whatever thing is going on. Binge-watching television, aggressive arguing on social media. They all seem innocent, but Satan can use them to distract us, to trap us, to, and to make us ineffective for the kingdom. How is Satan baiting you? Don't take it. Instead, we need to disarm Satan's trap with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. You've got to cut away the brush and use the sword to trip the trap. Now, what does a sword do? Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The writer says this, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged what sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word of God, what it does is it exposes our motives. It shows what is deep within our heart. God's word literally dissects us from the inside out. It's a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. Now, what do we learn about the word of God here? We learn first that it's living and active. God's word is not an outdated ancient document. His word cuts right to our hearts and shows us our sins. Second, it pierces our souls. God's word runs right through us. Whatever has captured our heart, it exposes it and points us back to Jesus. And then third, it discerns our thoughts and intentions. It shows us where we are vulnerable to the bait of Satan in our lives. Look now at verse 13. The writer continues, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of, to whom we must give account. So what the writer says is all are naked and you're exposed before the eyes of God, which the force here is, is the, it's, he's giving the image of this animal, because Hebrews is so sacrificially oriented, this image of this animal with, with its head thrown back and its neck bare, ready to be sacrificed. So if you want to grow in your ability to wage spiritual warfare, what he's saying is you need God's word. You cannot disarm uh, the traps of the enemy without it. You can't expose the poisonous bait with which he's trying to lure you in without the word of God. So, so how do we use it? Well, today, in our final week, we're going to look at Ephesians 6, verse 17 to 20. So I'll invite you to join me there. And what Paul is going to do is show us how to disarm Satan and his legions with three actions. First, we're going to train with the sword. Second, we have to pray in the spirit. And then third, you've got to open your mouth. Train with the sword, pray in the spirit, open your mouth. Let's pray before we dive into each of those. Heavenly Father, I come before you today, Lord, and I just, Father, I, I, I give you these words today, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and you would bring conviction where conviction needs to happen. Uh, for those that are here, those that are listening, Lord God, I, I pray that you would, would do your work, that you would expose our hearts, Lord God, and that we would know the power of your sword, the word that comes through your spirit, Lord God. Speak to our hearts today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, last week, uh, Noah did a great job explaining the significance of the helmet of salvation. But the second half of, of Ephesians 6.17 introduces the sword. So Paul writes, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword. The sword. The last piece of the armor. And since this is the last week of the series, let me just summarize the passage one last time, what Paul did in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. First, Paul tells us that we're in the midst of a spiritual battle and we have to rely on God. What did he say? He says you got to stand. Stand 
uh, trust in his mighty power, right? Verse 10. Second, he tells us we have an enemy with an army who is set against us. There's legions of, of enemies around us. And then third, he says God has given you weapons to fight this battle. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation... The primary uses of all those pieces of armor is defense, but the sword, the final piece, has an offensive role. And so it's worth asking a few questions. First, what is the sword? Now here again, Paul is likely drawing uh, images from the Roman soldier, uh, and, and Roman soldiers used two different types of sword. First, th- there was a large broad sword, which looked a bit like this. It was, it was longer, it was wide, it had double edges. Uh, when you think of swords, this is probably the one that you are thinking of, or the ones of the soldiers back here, these, these guys' swords back here. However, second, there was a smaller sword used by every Roman infantry soldier. Look kind of like this. The Greek word Paul uses here for sword uh, refers to this one. It, it's, a, it's a short sword. It, it's like a dagger or a knife. It's not that long sword you, you, that comes to mind first. And what Roman soldiers would do, the reason they had this dagger, was they would use this weapon in close combat. It, it typically was about, you know, one to one and a half feet in length, or about the size of a paper towel roll. So when you change your paper towels, you can say, oh, that was how long the sword is. Or, what I brought with me today was something like this. Uh, the mixer on your Vitamix, if you have one of these right here, if you want to, ch- in battle, right? This is the sword. This was the size of the sword. It wasn't a long sword. And, and if you're using this weapon, you are in close combat with your enemy. You, you would be so close if you're fighting your enemy that you, that you literally, you, you would get his sweat on you. You would smell, smell his breath. You're going to be that close. And there's a reason that Paul uses this word. Because he says this is what it's like to fight against Satan and his demons. Sometimes you get so close in hand-to-hand combat, you're thrusting and you're thwarting. You're thrusting and you're thwarting. You're so close that you're using this short sword, that, that the reality of spiritual warfare is more like a knife fight. Satan wants you in a knife fight. That's what Paul's getting at here. He wants to cut you and make you bleed. He, he wants to make you ineffective for the kingdom. If, if you're, if you're going to be ready for combat, you've got to train with the sword, which, as we'll see, is God's word. We have to read God's word. We have to memorize God's word. We have to be able to speak God's word clearly and effectively. You got to train with the sword. Now, how? How do you do that? He says you got to do it by the power of the spirit. And the question there is, who is the spirit? It's a great question. He is the one who supplies the sword. In other passages, we're told that the Spirit is the one who carried along the human authors as they wrote the Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all Scripture is what? It's God-breathed by the Spirit for what? For training in righteousness. You train with the sword by the power of the Spirit. And and Paul, again, is using some really creative language here. Ephesians 6.17 is the only time in the Bible that the word sword and spirit are associated. Sword and spirit, this is the only time they're connected. And that's really significant. Because the spirit is the one who opens our eyes to understand the scriptures. He illuminates our hearts and teaches us how to wield them. Which gets to a third and final question, and that's this. How do I use the word? Right? Paul adds that qualifier after sword. He says it is the the sword of the spirit, it's the word of God. And in this context, what is the word of God? Well, the Greek word Paul uses for word 
is the word rhema, not the, word, not the more common word logos. And rhema, for word, often refers not to the written word, but to the spoken word of God. And so with that in mind, the word of God in this context doesn't refer to the Bible writ large. Rather, it refers to the oral proclamation of the gospel message. Or put another way, when you speak the truth of the gospel, you are unsheathing the word of God. And that comes in two forms. First, preaching. You know, we take preaching very seriously here at NBC. We study, we prepare, we proclaim. Why? Because when you come here on a Sunday morning to hear a sermon, you're hearing the word of God, the sword of the spirit, unsheathed. It's being pulled out. We preach to push back the kingdom of darkness. Now, second... Not everybody is a preacher, but all of us can offer individual counsel from God's word. So you may be talking to a fellow member of the body. You may be sharing the gospel message with a stranger or a coworker or a member of your family. You, you may need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. When you wake up, you go in your bathroom, you look in the mirror, and you, got, you preach the gospel. Say this, Jesus died for me. Look at yourself and tell yourself that. The work is complete. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I have all I need for life and godliness. Quote scripture to yourself. Say it out loud so you can hear it. Release that power of the spoken word. That's all part of the training of using the sword of the spirit. You got to speak out loud the gospel truth. The late Tim Keller said it beautifully. And I actually used to write this on one of my, one of my journals. I, I always stuck with me. The gospel is the power of God in verbal form. The gospel is the power of God in verbal form. you got to speak it. So what do we do with all this? Well, the applicational point, I think, is, is pretty clear here. We have to prepare for close combat with our, our enemy. So right now, picture the battlefield of your life. The horses have charged, the arrows have been shot, and now, now everyone is, is they're all on the ground, and, and you're getting ready for that close combat. You, you go, and you, you pull out the sword, and you're ready to charge into battle. You've got to take up that sword and do two things. First, you've got to thrust, right, in attack. You've got to thrust in attack. You quote a scripture to rebuke the enemy. And then second, you've got to thwart. Like, he's going to attack you. You thwart him, and you pull him away. He puts a thought in your mind, you thwart him with another Another passage of scripture, you thrust and you thwart, you thrust and you thwart. That's how you use the sword. Spiritual warfare is literally wrestling with demons. Now, some of you out there might be wrestlers. Spiritual warfare is all about being locked in this close combat with your opponent, trying to wrestle him to the ground, cut him, cut him with the sword. And it's intense, it's bloody, it's exhausting. You have to know how to use the sword. Now, how does this play out? Well, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, Jesus is confronted with a demon-possessed boy. And I mentioned this passage a few weeks ago for another reason, but I, I want to come back to it. Uh, there's a father who comes to Jesus and asks him for help, for his son. The disciples were not able to cast out the demon. And, and Jesus comes then, and he commands that evil spirit, go, leave the boy. And immediately he goes. And, and then when they debrief the incident, the disciples ask Jesus a question. It says this in verse 28. And when he entered the house, that's Jesus, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind, this kind of demon, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now what does Jesus mean here? Well, he's teaching his disciples how to thrust and thwart with the spoken word of God. 
he is training them how to use the sword. Because sometimes you only need to make a superficial cut to expose the demon and what he's doing. In other words, there may be a lie that you're believing, but it's, it doesn't have that controlling position in your heart yet. Other times, you've got to cut deeper to expose the lies that are there. And to do that, you need, you need to be trained with the sword. You've got to know how to apply the gospel message deeply of, of Christ's death and his burial, his resurrection, his lordship in our lives. The word of God is the spoken word, the proclamation of the gospel. Now, sometimes in close combat, again, you need to cut deeper to expose the work of the enemy. And we catch a glimpse of this in Luke chapter 2. Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to dedicate him, and they meet a man there named Simeon. And this old man has been waiting his whole life to see the Messiah. And then God reveals to him that Jesus, the baby, the one who has come, he's the one who he's been waiting for. And look at what it says, Luke chapter 2, verse 28. He took him up, Simeon took Jesus up, in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for, glory, and for glory to your people Israel. My eyes have seen your salvation. It's talking about Jesus, the incarnate word of God in the flesh. Mary and Joseph marvel at what Simeon said, and then he blesses them, and he says this. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And then he says this, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So when we're in close combat with the enemy, sometimes, yes, all it takes is a small cut to expose Satan's deception, but other times we need a sword in the soul. We, we need our hearts to be pierced, to be run through, so that we come to repentance and trust in Christ. Or we need to help others realize that. Where is Satan baiting a trap for you or others? Where are you focusing on yourself and not Christ? Because he may need to do some major surgery on our hearts today. Let the Holy Spirit apply God's word to your life. Unsheathe the sword and preach the gospel to yourself. That's warfare. Thrust and attack, thwart and defense. Train with the sword. But don't stop there. Second, second, you have to pray in the spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Now, commentators and scholars debate on whether prayer is actually a seventh piece of the armor, but Paul likely intends, I think, that th this prayer is meant to bring everything together in combat. And so it's worth asking, what exactly is prayer? Uh, the New City Catechism sums, sums up prayer this way. It says, prayer is pouring out your hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. When we pray... We take our focus off of ourselves and, and put it onto Jesus. What does Paul tell us in the opening section on, the war, on warfare? Verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in who? In the Lord and in the strength of his might. Stand therefore. So Ephesians 6.10 and 6.18 bookend this section. And he says, be strong in the Lord. How? Look at verse 18. How are you strong in the Lord? You pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And the word prayer, right here, is actually a participle that's linked to the verb stand in verse 14. We stand firm by praying. We stand firm by praying. Prayer is crucial. It is the heart of spiritual warfare because it shows that we depend upon God himself. But this is an area I think a lot of people struggle 
When things get difficult, we more rely on our own strength. We don't go to prayer. I'll, 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 I'll talk to people and I'll hear them say, oh, prayer is just hard for me. I'm not a, I'm not a prayer warrior. And I, I want to exhort all of us, and, and myself too, and challenge us. If you want to use God's word more effectively in spiritual warfare, we have to prioritize our prayer life. If prayer is hard for you, let me offer just two suggestions that may be helpful. Uh, they've been helpful to me. First, schedule a time. Put a reminder in your phone. Add it to your calendar. I know that sounds crazy, but say, you know, tomorrow from noon to 12.15, I am going to have focused prayer time. Start there, right? Schedule it so you prioritize it. Second, consider praying the Psalms or using a liturgy. And if you, again, if you don't have the words to pray, because sometimes you get in a season of life where it's like that, it's okay to get some help. There are many great prayers of saints over the years or psalms that they can just give forms, a form to your request. You may be in a season of life like that right now, and that can help. But here's the truth. Here's the bottom line. When prayer is applied to the sword, it sets it on fire. That is warfare prayer. We should never go into battle against our enemy without praying. And even when we are in battle, we should never stop praying. Pray without ceasing, Paul tells us elsewhere. And how should you pray? Paul offers some qualifiers. First, he says, pray in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean speaking in tongues. That's not the context here. Rather, it means we're seeking the Spirit's guidance, direction, and help constantly in prayer. I'll say that again. Praying in the Spirit is to seek the Spirit's guidance, direction, and help constantly in prayer. Now, practically, that means the Spirit stands beside us, showing us how to pray and for whom to pray. Have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to just help you pray? Let, let, let me give you a, maybe a helpful image. This is from author Rob Ventura. He, he talks about the image of a sm picture a small boy being taught by his father how to steer a ship. Okay, so the, a boy and his father, they're on a boat. And as the boat's going along, the boy is steering and his father is standing directly behind him. And the father knew that if he didn't help his son, the boat would crash on the rocks or be swept away in the swift current. But the father, knowing this, did not push the son aside, rather telling him it would be better for the father, to, like the father didn't take the wheel. Instead, what he did was he leaned over his son, and he put his hands on his son's hands, and then he guided his son's hands on the wheel, and it was through the father's guidance that the son steered the ship to safety. And so likewise, friends, we pray best when the Spirit grips our hearts and guides our thoughts, steering us in the course that he's created for us. Just as the boy couldn't steer the ship on his own, so we cannot pray rightly without the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's have confidence in him. Pray in the Spirit. Second, we should pray when? We should pray on all occasions, right? Or it can be translated at all times. Believers need to be in a constant state of prayer because we are under constant attack. Our enemy does not stop coming for us. Resist the devil, James says. Fight back with the sword. Third, we pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. In other words, we use every conceivable prayer at our disposal in warfare. Now the word requests, prayers and requests here, that word can also be translated as supplication. And what that word simply means is to beg or plead for other people. 
We, when we make a request, we are begging or pleading for others. In spiritual warfare, yes, use every conceivable prayer at your disposal for yourself, but also for others. Because prayer is crucial to the health of the church. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon captures the power of prayer really well in this quote. Let me share it with you. He said this, What can we do without your prayers? They link us with the omnipotence of God. Like the lightning rod, they pierce the clouds and bring down the might and mysterious power from on high. The Lord give me a dozen importunate pleasers and lovers of souls, and by his grace we will shake London from end to end. That's where he ministered. I love, but don't, don't miss the image. I love the image. Prayer, he says, prayer, he says, brings lightning from heaven. And what follows lightning, fire. Prayer is what lights the sword of the Spirit on fire. What can we do without prayer? Are we praying? And one thing I can tell you is that every single day you're under assault. Satan wants to make the church ineffective for the kingdom. And we push back the kingdom of darkness through prayer, warfare prayer. When we engage in warfare prayer, we can shake, for us, not London, but, but Basking Ridge and central New Jersey from end to end. So Paul finishes, verse 18. He says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So pray for all God's people. When we pray for people, it connects our hearts to them. When we pray for people, their needs are in our minds. When we pray for people, the Holy Spirit then shows us how to minister. Prayer binds the church together. We need each other. What does that look like? Well, there's a powerful scene in Exodus chapter 17 when Moses is leading the Israelites in battle against the Amalekites. Moses goes to the top of the mountain and during the battle, what he does is he takes his staff, and I brought, I brought mine here today. He takes his staff, and he raises his staff above his head. Do you remember this scene? Every time Moses lifted his staff above his head, Israel would win. They would be advancing in the battle. But as he got tired, if the staff was lowered below his head, they would start losing. The battle would turn. He was getting tired, and so Aaron, his brother, and her would come next to Moses to help him raise the staff. We read this in verse 12. It says, But Moses' hands grew weary, and so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. That is the power of prayer in the church and spiritual warfare. We need to help each other keep our arms raised in the battle. We need to lift each other up. When others are weak, we need to help them be strong. That's what the church can look like. So ask yourself, who are you lifting up in prayer? Prayer should never, never be neglected. Why? Why should we pray in the Spirit? Paul says in verse 18, we've got to stay alert. We need to be alert. We need to be watchful. We need to be expectant because you never know. You never know when the dangers are going to come. Something might happen today. You don't know. Even, even after you leave this service today, an attack could come. You don't know. The church should be on red alert because we have an enemy who never stops. Who are you praying for? 
Commentator Clinton Arnold sums it up this way. He says, if prayer is foundational to the, the deployment of the armor, then it is not simply a matter of individuals praying, um, praying for themselves privately, which is what we often think. It is an issue of Christians arming each other through prayer. When you pray for other people, you help them, you help them be armed. We, get, we arm other people by praying in the Spirit. Prayer shows us when to use the shield and when to use the sword. We should always expect Satan's trap and be on alert for the bait to come. Train with the sword, pray in the spirit. But finally, finally, the end game is you got to open your mouth. Open your mouth. And that's an instructive point for all of us because some of us open our mouths too quickly. (laughs) We're combative. Others of us, we fail to open our mouths because we're passive-aggressive. What Paul teaches us at the close of this section is this. You have to discern when to open your mouth. How does he finish? He tells us to pray. Verse 19. He says, pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So Paul's not afraid to ask for prayer for himself. And you say, Paul, this spiritual giant, this spiritual warrior who, who's, been, who's been run out of town for preaching the gospel, he's unsheathed the, the sword, the word of God, multiple times. He asks for intercessory prayer in battle. And again, I just want to point out, this may actually be the challenge for, for many of us. Some of us have a difficult time going to God in prayer, and many of us have a difficult time asking for others to pray for us because we don't want to appear weak. We want to seem like we got it all together. That's another bait of Satan. Earlier in the series, we said that one of Satan's main methods was, was to get us isolated and alone. He wants us by ourselves, talking to ourselves, so that he can keep us down and out. And church, just let me exhort you, I'll, I'll exhort myself today, don't be afraid to ask for prayer. Tell people what you need. I know there are more prayer requests in a body like this than flow in on a Sunday or on a Monday. Ask for prayer so that we as a church can unleash the lightning from heaven, as Spurgeon said. Open your mouth and ask for prayer. Now, what's Paul's request? He asks for words. Paul asks for words. Then the Greek word for words here is not the same as before. It's the word logos, which means he's asking for wisdom. How many of us out there right now need a prayer for wisdom today? Right now you're walking through a tough time and and you need to know the words to use. How do you speak to somebody in your situation? You ask for prayer. Why does Paul need words? He says, I want to be able to open my mouth boldly and proclaim the gospel. He wants to know how to unsheathe the sword of the spirit. And the word that's used here for, for the speech, he's talking about frankness of speech. Paul wants to be more frank, more bold in sharing the gospel. And you, again, you might say, isn't this the most famous evangelist ever? Yes, and, and, and the point is, even he needed prayer. Open your mouth and ask for prayer. Receive prayer to open your mouth. Why? So you can use the sword of the Spirit and declare God's gospel to the nations. Paul offers one final image in verse 20. He says, I, I'm asking for this because I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. All of us are ambassadors for Christ, even as we go on the battlefield. And Satan hates that. He doesn't want you boldly declaring the gospel. He wants your mouth shut. He wants you on the sidelines. But spiritual warfare means we speak the truth of the gospel. We unsheathe the spoken word of God. 
And so as we close our time today and we're about to come to the table, I just want to ask you a, a pointed question. Where is God calling you to speak? Where is God calling you to speak? Where do you need to open your mouth? Spiritual warfare, yes, is, is a close combat exercise. Satan's coming after us. In fact, he might be getting in your face right now, right now, trying to intimidate you into silence. Paul closes this section on warfare by challenging us, open your mouth. Don't let Satan intimidate you into silence. Fight back with the sword of the Spirit, the spoken word of God. Now, how do you do that? I want you to think about those three movements we walked through today, and I'll put them back on the screen. Where do you need to grow most? First, do you, do you need more training with the sword? Maybe right now you're saying, I feel unequipped biblically. Well, get into a Bible study. Join a small group. Memorize key scriptures so that when the attacks come, when you feel the breath of the accuser against your neck, you can speak back boldly. Thrust and thwart with the sword in close combat. Second, maybe you need to grow in your prayer life. Some of us right now, we're just, we're just neglecting prayer. And Satan has convinced us maybe it's unimportant. Maybe he's gotten discouragement so deep in our heart that disbelief has crept in. Others of us, there's a root of bitterness that's just poisoning our soul to the point where we're angry at God. If you feel like you can't pray, ask for prayer. Find an Aaron and a her, like Moses did. Help them to help lift up your arms in battle. And then finally, why is your mouth closed? Because some of us right now, we know. We know we should share the power of the gospel with somebody, but he hasn't, we haven't opened our mouth because we're afraid. We don't, we don't think we're bold enough. We don't, we don't think we, have, we know the words to use. Pray like Paul. Pray that God would give you the words and make an impact. Don't let Satan intimidate you into silence. Friends, at the beginning of this series, we said that Satan's goal, his tactic, is to make you ineffective for the kingdom of God. He wants to get you as far away from God as possible. He wants to make you hate God. And if you're here today, let me just challenge you. Don't let him think he's won. Fight back. Trust in the one who will fight for you. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Stand. How? By praying always. And so let me close today and our series with Paul's prayer from Ephesians 3. So much of Ephesians is about knowing and understanding and believing our identity in Christ. And Satan, Satan will attack that. He will attack our identity. He will make us forget the power we have from Jesus. Don't believe his lies. Don't fall for his trap. Don't take the bait. Instead, declare boldly the mystery of the gospel which changes lives. And so what I want you to do as we close, I want to invite you to stand with me. And I want you to, I want you to pray with me Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. We're going to say it out loud together. Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19. On the count of three, we're going to start reading it together. One, two, three. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As we pray, we raise our shields together. We unsheathe the sword. Satan wants to confuse the mystery of the gospel, but the gospel, the spoken word of God, has the power to heal and to help and to save as we trust in our God, who is a mighty fortress against the schemes of the evil one. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your love, Lord, and your power and your protection, Lord. Father, I pray for each person who's here today, Lord, that that your spirit would be around them, that your angels would encamp around them, even today, Lord God, that you would protect them from the attacks of the enemy. Lord, help us to recognize the bait that Satan is putting in our lives right now. Help us not to be used by him, to be deceived by him, Lord God. Expose the thoughts and motivations of our hearts, Lord, that you may get the glory. May your gospel go forward, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name.